everybody. It is Corey Poirier and excited to be back with the latest edition of the show and really excited as well to have Michael Fort with me here today. And Michael, I think the best starting point uh, for our, especially our listeners who are just discovering you for the first time, perhaps, is to see if you can give us a little bit of a, a backstory or I'll call it a Reader's Digest overview of your, uh, your backstory and your journey. Sure. So my first book came out in 2006 and it's called Book Yourself Solid. And there are multiple editions, multiple editions of that book uh, in English. And then probably 20, I think it's 29 uh, foreign language translations of that book. And then I wrote another book called Beyond Book Solid, then a book called The Contrarian Effect, then a book called The Think Big Manifesto. And I said, please, if I write another book, just punch me in the face before I even get started. And then I wrote an illustrated version of Book Yourself Solid. And then I did a book called Steal the Show. Steal the Show is my most recent book. Uh, and that is focused on public speaking and performance in all aspects of life. And Heroic Public Speaking is the company that I run. And our courses, our programs uh, are based on uh, the work that I did in Steal the Show. And so, you know, I've been around for a long time. Uh, as a speaker and an author and a, a teacher. 2003 was when I left the corporate world. Uh, so it's been a while. And I feel like every day uh, it gets more fun. And every day I learn something new that, uh, that I can do something with to maybe change the world just a little bit at a time. I love it. And so, Michael, another thing that uh, you didn't mention there that I know about your backstory is uh, your acting background. And oh, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I'm, I'm sure you hear it all the time that uh, that's, you know, so as a speaker myself, it's funny how you want, I want people, you know, to say, okay, oh, he's a TEDx speaker, he's this, he's that. But I have a background in stand-up comedy and everybody's like, tell me about comedy though. Yeah, of course. It's like, or it's like music. I played music for years. And tell me about the music business. Sure. And so I think acting, people just gravitate to it. They so. love it. I tell you, I, I, I get more, uh, more uh, recognition for my one episode on Sex and the City in 1997 uh, than all of the New York Times, Wall Street Journal, bestsellers I could possibly write. People just love that show. And that particular episode uh, airs over and over. So I did, I worked. I have a master's of fine arts from NYU, from the graduate acting program at NYU. My wife has her master's uh, in acting from Yale. Uh, and together we run uh, heroic public speaking. I did shows like Sex and the City, Third Watch, All My Children, Law and Order, 100 Center Street, uh, films like The Pelican Brief, Down to Earth, uh, The Believer, Last Call. And I did a lot of commercials, especially voiceovers. Voiceovers was my bread and butter for years. I did brands like Coors Beer, Braun, Pizza Hut, MTV. I used to do MTV's Rock and Jock Super Bowl. <laughs> and I did the, the Box Music Network, all music, all the time. You know, so that's, uh, that's what paid the bills. But it's not that exciting, frankly, sitting in a sound booth for eight hours saying this over and over. Here we go broad, smart thinking. And then so one guy at the table says, you know, could you do it with just a little bit more rye? Okay, here we go. Broad, smart thinking. And then another guy goes, well, can you do it with just a little bit more smile? Okay, broad, smart. And it's the same every single time. And of course, they use the very first take that you did at 9am. But of course, everybody wants uh, to demonstrate their value. So it takes 10 hours of studio time to do that one line. 
<laughs> and so uh, you, you may have answered my question already. I was going to ask, do you miss it? Um, and I guess there's both sides, right? There's the voiceover, but there's also the acting side. Um, do you miss that world and, and being in that world at all? Or were you? I, I don't miss being in that world so much. The, 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 um, it wasn't the world of, of theater, film, TV that uh, I loved so much. It was the transformative value that that, car, that kind of artistic expression brings. So no, I don't miss being in the booth. Uh, in fact, I'm in the booth all the time now recording my books or doing podcasts. You know, it's just, uh, it's, it's really not different than that. And because uh, I've spoken professionally for so many years, I still get to entertain audiences. That's fun. I certainly like that. But I'm much more interested in how we use the craft of performance to help create positive change for our audience members and, of course, through that process for ourselves. So... If we are trying to get people to think differently or act differently or feel differently, uh, then we, we're well served by seeing the world from a performer's perspective. How do we use acting techniques to influence the way other people feel? And sometimes, you know, I've got pushback every once in a while. Someone says, oh, yeah, but do you, you mean you're manipulating people, right? Well, all day long, we try to get people to do things or think things or feel things. It's what we do all day long from the second we get up. If you go to Starbucks and you get in line, you know, you want to get your coffee as soon as you possibly can. So you're going to choose some tactic that you think is going to do that. If you're in a great mood, you're going to be super friendly. You're going to ask some nice questions. How are they doing? And yeah, you're doing it because you're a nice person, but you also want that coffee and you want it fast because you've got to get to the office. If you're not in the best mood, you might be a little bit more pushy or a little edgy or listen, I don't have much time. Those are all tactics that we're using to get people to do something. So I say, why don't we be intentional about it so we can actually make people feel better about who they are through very intentional uh, activities, very intentional ways of being. Uh, and then hopefully we can produce an outcome that serves us and the people that are in that engagement with us. So that's how performance applies to all aspects of life, not just what you're doing on stage when you're giving a speech or doing a play or singing, et cetera. Well, and I want to, and what I want to dive into now is, of course, the, the speaking world. I mean, I wanted to sort of set the tone as we build up to it. And I'm actually looking, I think I have Steal the Show on my desk uh, on my left side. And I, I think I have Book Yourself Solid. It's somewhere on the desk here. Nice. Bookends. Yeah, it's, it's one of the two piles here. Yeah. Um, but uh, great books. Uh, Book Yourself Solid, I just reread recently and, uh, and actually took some different initiatives from it that, you know, going into 2018, I said, you know what, I should try this or I haven't tried this yet or um, even just um, re releasing a new book myself, even just the idea of sending copies to meeting planners and, and people that I can add value to in place of maybe an article. You know, mm -hmm. we could send an article and say, thought of you, thought you might like this. Uh, but obviously it's a nice little uh, add on if you could send a book and say, hey, yeah. Uh, yeah. just put the book out and thought of you while I was writing this section or what have you. Yeah. Um, but both great books. My, my question to jump into the things on the speaking side, because it's what I run into the most, is people ask, how can you engage an audience and, and sort of right from the start, get them along with you for the ride? Because, you know, if they're not along with you from the very beginning, it's hard to pull them along afterward. And I know you, you focus a lot on the show 
And a lot of speakers don't get that. They don't even understand that it is a show. Um, so maybe we'll start there just in terms of what kind of engagement strategies do you teach people when it comes to pulling the audience in or getting them on your side? Sure. So your speech actually starts long before you step on stage. Your speech starts as soon as that audience member knows that you're the one speaking. So what they read about you in the brochure, or what they see about you online, uh, what they hear about you from the organizers of the event, and what people uh, talk about in the space before you go on stage. And finally, based on what's in your bio. So if you, if you think about your speech starting all the way back then, then you can be more intentional about how you start to engage the people who are going to be in the room at a much earlier date, rather than thinking the speech starts just when they see you, because they're going to come to that speech with all sorts of preconceived notions. And if it takes them 15 minutes to decide whether or not to listen to you, then most of the speech you're playing catch up. So for example, let's, let's use, let's talk, let's go to the bio for a second. The bio, uh, the bio, put, let's put it this way. I, I, let me ask you a question. How long is Bill Gates' bio? When Bill Gates is introduced, not the one that's written, you know, somewhere on Wikipedia, but when Bill Gates is introduced, what do they say? The founder of Microsoft, probably, and the Bill, uh, Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. Maybe. Yeah, maybe at they most. throw those in there. If they at just most. said, if, yeah, at most, if they just said, Ladies and gentlemen, Bill Gates. Would that be enough for you or do you need more? No, no, you no. don't. I think if you're in the audience, it's likely that you know all about the Gates Foundation and you know all about Microsoft. You're probably running Microsoft on the device that's sitting on your lap. So the longer your bio, generally the less you've accomplished when it comes to introductions, not what's written on a website or in Wikipedia. Uh, Bill Gates's bio in Wikipedia must be very, very long because it details the history of the company. But when you're introduced, what you need is to demonstrate through that introduction that you know what they want to know or have done what they want to do. Simple. Enough credibility for them to say, yeah, I want to I know what they want to know or I want to do what they've done. Your philosophy, the way you see the world, how many kids you have, they don't need to be in that bio. In fact, I do not think that your philosophy should be in the bio because most of the people who read the bio are not professionals. They're often a sponsor who gets the opportunity to do an introduction so they can say, I'm from blah, blah, blah company. And today, here's your speaker. And then they get the name wrong. So, so you, you, don't, you don't want to expect too much from the people who are reading those bios. So it starts then. And what you put in that bio inf influences what people think about what you are going to say. So that's first. Now, when you walk on stage, I do not think you need to start with a story because there is no one way to make art and public speaking is an art. So if, if somebody tells you, you have to do it this way, or you have to do it this way, or this is the way you start a speech, run, 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 run. Because every rule was meant to be broken as long as you know what the rules are. So 
the performer's job is in large part to surprise the audience by breaking the rules, doing things unexpected, creating a lot of contrast, difference. Sameness is not that interesting. If, if you go to a, let's say you, let's say you go and listen to um, a classical music concert and Yo-Yo Ma is performing that night and he plays the most beautiful note on the cello that you could possibly ever imagine but he plays the same note for three hours. You'd run screaming from the venue. So what we want is variety, is contrast, is difference. Uh, and so we want to build that into our speeches at the earliest possible moment. But it doesn't mean that we have to follow a particular formula. It doesn't mean that we should always start with a story because sometimes uh, a speaker will come out, start telling a story, and then the audience sits back and goes, okay, here's one of those speakers starting with a story, you know, and I know he's going to, lead me to this, you know, moral and there's a big point coming up. And, and so we have to be careful that we're not falling into the trap of expectations. doesn't mean you don't start with a story. I'm not saying you don't, don't get me wrong. Someone will complain. He, Michael Port says, don't start with a story. No, I'm not saying don't start with a story. I'm just saying you don't have to, there isn't a rule about it. There isn't a rule that you have to tell them what you're going to tell them, then tell them and then tell them what you told them. That's not a rule. That is a particular practice that works in some situations, uh, but isn't necessary across the board. Sometimes we want to come out with a speech really easy and just start really smoothly and lightly and just lob it right up to them. But what we don't want to do is we don't want a lot of filler. We don't want unnecessary banter that people feel like they have to just wade through hoping to get to something that is a little bit more meat. Uh, we want to get in and get going as soon as we possibly can. It's interesting when you mention that, Michael, because I have this coming Sunday, I have uh, my latest TEDx talk and it's five minutes they gave me. Uh, so now, and you probably noticed that TEDx talks, I mean, they're getting to three minutes now. I'm wondering if there's going to be like a 30 second TEDx talk. Oh, sure. Oh yeah, I'm sure. But it's amazing how much a person can cover in such a short amount of time. Yep. Going back to your point though, as long as you don't, um, mumble or add in all these things that don't need to be in. If you can trim out the stuff that doesn't need to be there and just get to the core, it's amazing what you could fit into five minutes. But mm -hmm. I think where people run into challenges is they want to add so much in. Sure. Even so stuff one, push the story yeah, it is very common that we want to, uh, to over deliver on what we're teaching. That, that, that makes perfect sense because you care deeply about delivering on the promises that you make to an audience. What often happens, however, is we get way too much plain and we don't have enough runway. So by the end, we, we overshot the, you know, the, the time and then we're just trying to catch up and we'll usually resort to, okay, listen, if you just learned one thing from this, remember this. And if we, if we use that kind of language, what it's doing is it says, that was the only thing that actually mattered. I actually could have come out and just said that. Nothing else I said mattered. The only thing is this. And so then we end up uh, negating a lot of, we, uh, of what we offered, uh, but we're just trying to catch up. And it's because we're concerned that we haven't yet actually you know, made our point or delivered on the promise. So you mentioned, and you know, being a focus on delivering a show, and you mentioned changing it up and mixing it up. What is your thought on 
technology. And, and when I say that, I mean using video and different things like that, because the, it obviously it can move the story forward. It can create a really powerful show, but you also open up the door that it could have a hiccup and things go wrong. That's right. What are your thoughts on? Yeah. So my, my thoughts, uh, as I said earlier, uh, are not constrained, meaning I don't think there is one way to do this. Uh, and I don't think it's something that, um, I, I, I don't think it's something that we should create an ideology around. Often, we rely on technology because we use it as a crutch. So we create a PowerPoint and then we organize a speech based on the slides that we created, which we have found uh, through thousands and thousands of student interactions that the opposite is more effective. Uh, creating a speech and then designing audio and visual uh, tools to help illustrate a point or emphasize a point, create some theatricality, bring in some humor, et cetera, is excellent. But I would not, I, I would, I would not overestimate the impact that visuals have. Because if, if visuals were so important in a speech that they were absolutely necessary for people in order to understand what you're saying, because we rely on this, well, most people are visual learners, so I have to put up visuals. How come stand-up comics are so effective without visuals? Why don't, you know, why doesn't um, Jerry Seinfeld have a slide deck and he show you like the image of each thing he's talking about? So when you buy a bar of soap and he shows you a bar of soap, he doesn't need to do that because he's, he's able to create visual images that you see in your mind through his language through contextualization, through connecting the new ideas to ideas that you already are comfortable with and have mastered. And so you don't need all of those tools that you know, people might think you do uh, using the slides. Usually we use the slides so that we know where we are in our presentation. So I would say this. So again, this is why people think they say, Michael Port says no slides. He's, he's Devin Mountain. It's not that. I have no problem. I have used slides. I have used video. I use a lot of audio. I've done conversations with myself, with the voices coming out of speakers in front of an audience to show a scene of an interaction rather than just telling them about it. So uh, there aren't limits, but I wouldn't make assumptions that you need to do anything the way anybody else has done it before because that assumes that the way everybody else is doing it is the right way. I mean, look, take Hamilton uh, on Broadway. How many people, even 10 years ago, would have said, yeah, I think there'll be a production on Broadway uh, that's a, a period piece about Alexander Hamilton where they rap? Like, what? Who on earth would have ever thought that that would be on Broadway? And of course, it's, it's the most successful show uh, running, and it's just extraordinary. So there isn't one way to do any of this, but I wouldn't just make things and do things the way other people do them because they're doing them. We always ask, well, why is somebody making the choices they're making? Because as an artist, 
it seems to me that your job is to make strong choices. And as an artist, you're judged on the choices you make. So what you wear is a choice. Everything you say is a choice. The way you move is a choice. The way you interact with an audience is a choice. Whether you allow them to ask questions or not is a choice. Uh, all of the choices in total, the sum total of those choices, either produce a thrilling experience for the audience or uh, a bland experience for the audience. And if we make small choices where we don't take a stand and have a, an opinion, uh, then we may come across as, as bland. And, and so, as someone who makes small choices or thinks small. So making big choices seems to be risky. You know, it's risky to make big choices on stage. Well, that's what people want. People, people want others who are standing in front of them and presenting to be larger than life. They don't want someone behaving in a way that is pedestrian on stage. Now, let me make, let me make this very clear. I'm not saying that we should be overly dramatic or theatrical or we have to do a song and a dance or juggle fire. That's one type of theatrical experience. You can be incredibly easygoing, conversational, laid back even, and deliver a rip-roaring, you know, right between the eyes, killer keynote, uh, if it is honest, and if it's compelling, and it'll be theatrical, if it's emotionally compelling, intellectually compelling, they can feel a change in their body. There, there are so many different aspects uh, of the human uh, condition that we're trying to affect when we're performing, uh, that we're not limited just to a few. But we're also not limited to doing it the way other people do it. And each one of us should develop our own style so that it is based on what is most compelling about us in that environment. And, and we, we tamp down on some parts of our personality that may not necessarily be conducive to helping us accomplish our goal in that particular environment. So when someone, uh, when someone gives you the advice, you know, just be yourself, um, I, I think that you've you got to be careful about that. Uh, I, I think people mean it just be yourself, like don't try to be someone that you're not. Uh, relax, be natural, et cetera. That's what they mean when they say try to, uh, just be yourself. But if you were fully yourself every time you showed up, you'd say a lot of things that probably would not be appropriate in that environment. So we are always filtering different parts of ourselves, different ideas that we have, and trying to present them in a way that actually achieves the objective at hand. So, Michael, as we start to wind down, and, you know, I, I'd love to bring you back on at some point and talk about storytelling, because that's a, that could be a half hour to 45 minute conversation on its own. So I know we don't have time to go through that today. But one other thing I'll ask you about, um, and again, it's kind of ironic to ask you this because you just mentioned there's no rules, but this is one area where I find a lot of people run into challenges, and it relates to humor, adding humor into their talk. But at the same time, not knowing if it's funny or if it's, you know, it's the wrong thing to say. And I interviewed Judy Carter a while back, uh, who wrote the comedy Bible. And she, you know, so she wrote the book that Oprah approved as the comedy book about humor. She teaches speakers humor. And she said, even her, she does, there's no, never a guarantee every single joke is going to work with every audience. But not only that, that you're not going to know something in the audience that's going to make the joke 
controversial or wrong. Yep. So my question is, what? Are, and I know, like you said, there's no rules, but what are your thoughts on being careful with humor or adding humor if you don't know if it's going to fly or not? I would rather take the risk uh, than, than water myself down. Humor is the greatest gift in the world. If you, if you can bring humor to an individual or a room full of people, you have changed their life. Uh, and uh, on the professional circuit, you'll find that some of the most successful speakers happen to also be the funniest because people love to laugh. So if you can educate and entertain at the same time through humor, you're golden. You know, you're, you've, got, you've got a lot of opportunities ahead of you. And we can find the funny, even if we are not natural born comedians. Ron Tite, good friend of mine, incredible speaker, a Canadian uh, like yourself. I'm only making that assumption based on your slight Canadian uh, dialect. And he is one of, the mo one of the most working speakers in Canada. He's a member of the League of Heroic Public Speakers, which is our development organization. And he was a stand-up comic. He runs an ad agency called Church and State, big ad agency. And he's hysterical. He's absolutely brilliant. And he uses that expression, find the funny. So when I think about finding the funny, I look for the extremes and I look for the absurdities because humor is usually in the absurdities or the extremes. If you take Jerry Seinfeld, he's talking about these seemingly everyday situations that amount to nothing and he's making them funny because he's finding the extreme nature of it. So when he talks about kids and, uh, and, 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 and thinking and kids when they think about what they want to be when they grow up for, for a lot of boys, a superhero is an actual opportunity. It's a real potential job description for a lot of kids. And that's what he's, he, that's how he finds the extreme nature of it. And he plays up that joke that, you know, these kids think they can be superheroes. Uh, but, but that's extreme. It's so extreme to think about it in that way that, yeah, they think it's an actual job description. And he's finding ways to pull, pull on the strings of normalcy and pull it out to the edges and then find the humor there. So audiences are looking for those kinds of extremes. They're looking for you to do that. And if you are going to try to find humor, find it situationally as opposed to uh, based on punchline jokes. If you're not a comedian, spending your time trying to write jokes with punchlines is a, is a whole nother art to learn. That is really very, uh, a very specific craft. And there's a lot of people, a lot of books you can read and places to learn and go do it if you're interested. Take stand-up comedy in a heartbeat because you'll learn so much about the art and about yourself. Um, but finding situational humor is often easier to do because you're in that situation. And if you're paying attention to what's happening, you can often find the humor in the moment. Love it. And so, Michael, my last official question, and I'll give you a hint. The unofficial question is going to be, of course, how we can learn more. But before I get to that, in, this is the biggest question that I get. And I'm sure it's one of the bigger questions you guys get at Heroic Speaking as well. But how to find paying clients? Um, you know, it's, it, that's the universal always question. Or is there one or two kind of strategy that you share that 
is kind of above the rest or you see as a game changer for your students or, you know, something that just kind of brings people in the door or vice versa, a way to really get people to start talking? Is yeah. there anything you can send our way? Sure. So, so the answer to that question is a seven day answer, I think, because there are so many components that go into being someone that's in demand for a particular discipline. Let me start with the obvious, but I don't think gets enough attention. Can you actually be truly remarkable at what you do? Can you be the kind of person that others actually talk about when, uh, when, when someone asks about or references your particular area of specialty? Are you that good? Because I think most of us need to spend a lot more time getting that good at the thing that we want to be known for. Because if you're that good, the referrals will come as soon as you, you know, it's dominoes. As soon as you get a couple good clients, the referrals will start flowing in and the work will speak for itself. Now, with that said, Book Yourself Solid is written to address that specific issue. Um, and it is a very comprehensive, systematic approach to how you build a foundation for the business, how you put together a plan for building trust and credibility, how you price your offers, how you sell what you're offering, and then of course, how to use the six core self-promotion strategies to keep bringing people back to your foundation so you can start building trust with them over time, starting to make sales offers that are proportionate to the amount of trust that you've earned, making sure your pricing is right in the sweet spot of that buyer's desire, being able to have sales conversations that are simple and effective, and then continuing every single day to do a few of those six core self-promotion activities. That's a comprehensive system. Once you build that, you're good to go because that system will continue to operate uh, uh, you know, like a, like a windmill. Once it starts going, it just keeps moving, keeps going, keeps going. Uh, so that's, that's something that does take a while. I would say the number one thing that you can do, say if you want to book more speaking gigs, the number one thing to do is make sure you have a lot of friends who are in the business because speakers get speakers work, period, full stop. And, and look, if I, go, if I go keynote something tomorrow and, and they loved it, they're not bringing me back next year, even if they loved it. Not for the same keynote at the same slot or at the same conference, they can bring somebody else in. So you might get hired again, but it's not, usually right next year for the same exact thing in the same spot. It might be for some other division of the company, but not for the same thing. So what do they say? They say, hey, who do you know? Do you know any good speakers? That do? Oh, I say, oh, of course. Here, you got to talk to so-and-so. Let me introduce you. Boom, 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 boom. And most people who are working regularly will say uh, that that was the initial key to their success, having those kind of people open the doors, and then eventually get to the point where your fees are high enough uh, that you have people working for you, bureaus, et cetera, uh, who will take the time to, to go out and sell you. Love it. And, and, you know, the other side, Michael, and this is perfect segue because I want to ask how we can learn more, but, you know, we mentioned the book, Book Yourself Solid, for the price of a book. <laughs> Literally, yeah. uh, people can learn how to book themselves solid. So even though I have you here, I asked the question, you know, I know within that book, I mean, I've read it multiple times now, I know within the book, if they just follow that system, yeah. that's the answer. 
But yeah. like I said, it's, it's one of those things people want the instant answer, but at the same time, yeah. for the price of a book and the time it takes to read it, if that's, you know, if it's not worth doing that for your speaking yeah. career, then totally. you're probably well, going people, to people ask often, they ask very often, so Michael, if there's like one thing in Book Yourself Solid that I could do, and I, I say, it's not like that. It is not one thing. You know, I feel like an old man. It was like, no, you don't understand. You have to build, you know, it's a systematic approach to this, but it does. You're building something that has a foundation. You're building something that can grow and keep growing and build and scale and move. You know, it's, it, it, if everybody could do it without any work, everybody would do it without any work. I would love to not do any work. I would love to sit and watch Netflix all day, but that is not going to produce the dreams that I have uh, because, you know, there's a lot to learn and there's a lot to be done. So uh, I think anybody that, you know, is willing to take the time to build something uh, using, say, the Book Yourself Solid system or something similar, and they're willing to put in that time, they'll get book solid and they'll deserve to. But I don't think if you're willing to do any work or willing to do any, you know, promotion for your services, I don't know if you really deserve that business. You got to earn it. So in some way, we have to earn it in one way, shape or form. So, Michael Port, this has been an absolute pleasure. Uh, I promised the last question, and might be the most important for somebody who's literally just starting their journey and they want to know what the next steps are, but where would you normally direct them if they want to learn more about your work at Heroic Speaking, if they want to learn more about your books, how to grab a couple of those, sure. if they want to learn more about how to connect with you on social media, where is there sure. a hub that you would send them to? Yeah, yeah. So, heroicpublicspeaking.com is the best place to go. Heroicpublicspeaking.com. Dot com. So you'll see there we've got video courses on the speaking business, on the, using your voice powerfully. Um, we have a whole crash course that outlines the whole picture for you and what it's going to look like for you to get better as a speaker. Uh, we do a, events all year long. We have a big, big event uh, coming up uh, called HPS Live, uh, which is our big annual event. And we do comprehensive trainings here, private trainings. We have writers who will write scripts or coach uh, speakers on the scripts that they're writing. So it's pretty comprehensive, uh, but heroicpublicspeaking.com is the best place to go uh, to start. Awesome. Well, like I say, Michael Port, this has been an absolute pleasure. Thanks so much for taking the time with us, uh, to spend with us today. And then also, as I mentioned, I'll call it with your permission to be continued because I'd love to bring you back on down the road again as well. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks so much for having me. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.